Hello, everybody. You're probably thinking, hmm, Travis sounds different today. And yes, I'm currently getting over a slight cold from last week, and I'm actually not Travis. My name is Finner, and I'm currently interning with the amazing team here at Fool and Scholar Productions. And I'm here today to tell you about the last city. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. A geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors like Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Torado, and Maury Sterling. You can follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. A big thanks to Wondery for supporting shows like The White Vault. And now, on with the scheduled programming. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hello everyone, today we are here with Peter Lewis, the voice of Graham Kasner. And I am Caitlin Statz. I am the writer of The White Vault. And we also have Travis Vengroff. That, that was me. Yep. <laughs> who uh, pr- produces and co-creates. Lovely to be with you. Thank you, Peter. Uh, we, we love having you and working with you. Uh, we have some questions from people who've been eagerly awaiting an answer. And they wanted to know, first and foremost, how did you get started as a voice actor? Oh, goodness. Has it started? I, I never got the memo. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's really um, at the No Sleep podcast, which is where many people sadly know me from. Uh, David gave me a chance there back in 2013 or something, after I had responded to, uh, he put out a volunteer post on LibriVox back in the day. Oh, I love LibriVox. And I uh, caught on to it. I think it was just kind of before things got crazy and everybody wanted to be involved. So I got in there just under the wire. And that was really my first experience doing anything, was with David. I had uh, recorded a small story as a sample for him, and it all started from there. So that was my very first real thing. So you did, did you do anything on, actually, like, on LibriVox? I never ended up getting a part on LibriVox. I, I was on there for about <laughs> three or four months looking around, and I learned a lot, but I was not involved. Never did hear you on anything I listened to on LibriVox. And I went there, oh my gosh, years and years and years ago in the early, before the, the, the 20, 2010s, 
to listen to. They just do Don Quixote and stuff. Yeah, Don sure, Quixote, yeah. a lot of old classics. But that's great. That's cool. That's, I didn't know that's where you found them. So another another question we have here: uh, what What do you like about the horror genre? Assuming you like the horror genre. See how Travis just jumps right into it. He doesn't do any of like the friendly, like, how you doing? Let's chat a little bit first. It's just like, here's all the questions. Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is me. I don't have a personality or any human qualities, so that makes sense. Our, our souls are crushed on this end. <laughs> Apparently more so Travis's soul because he just like gasped. <laughs> but how do you choose or why do you choose horror? And... uh if you could choose, would you choose something other than horror? Yeah, I I really do like the horror genre. It's never been a obsession of mine necessarily, but I've always been slightly involved. Always read the the darker side of things, the Jekyll and Hyde uh, things instead of Moby Dick and you know the boring things where nobody really <laughs> dies with that much blood. It's, there has to be a lot of blood. <laughs> but I I don't think of myself, I guess, is the way I think of it. I don't think of myself as a horror person or involved in the horror genre. I'm very pleased to be involved in it, but I don't think I have any right to claim that. Um, what I do really like about it more and more as I go into it is that it's just very therapeutic in a lot of ways for a lot of people. You can identify with and resolve issues that you might be having in your own life or at least in your own mind in a more visual way or a more real way you know through the story and through a character than I think is really possible on your own you try so hard as a human to avoid being horrified that you don't ever resolve your baggage and your issues so I think being kind of forced through your eyeballs slash ears to do so is very good for me at least so I've come to appreciate that a lot it's interesting to hear you say that uh, you don't feel like you're supposed to be part of this horror community when for some people when they think of horror when they think of listening to their favorite no sleep shows or something they think about your voice so as far as many people are concerned, you are most certainly a keystone of the horror audio genre. So That's don't very talk yourself good to down. know. And very flattering. <laughs> I don't have much of a, a view of that myself, I guess, so I, I need the external perspective. On that topic of scary stuff, what, what do you find scary? Absolutely. It's nothing to... Uh, extravagant and special, I, I would think. I, I don't really spend too much time during the day worrying about uh, Cthulhu rising up from the sea. I probably should spend more time. But uh, just basic everyday things, you know, where am I going to sleep tomorrow? Where am I going to get food? Those sorts of things are on my mind often. I don't know if that's necessarily fear as much as it is anxiety, but that's how I experience things. No, that's that's scary. That's legitimate. No, those are legitimate, like, adult fears of the world. And people are like, what are you scared of? And I'm like, how am I going to pay my bill? Yeah, that's <laughs> the big one. We have a White Vault question. What is your favorite and least favorite uh, thing about the character, Graham Kasner? Oh, Graham, my dear friend. My most favorite thing about him would probably be just his personality or his attitude, the way that he's written, which all credit goes to you, 
for that. He he just kind of rides this line where you're never sure if he's just really tired. He he might just be tired and it's not a big deal. Or he might hunt humans for sport recreationally <laughs> in his off time. And you're never quite sure. He could be the loveliest gentleman in the world or or it might be the other thing. And I just love existing in that that gray area between <laughs> All right, least favorite part, though. I have an idea of what it's going to be, but I want to hear what you say. I was just thinking of that. I I don't think I have a least favorite thing about him. The The thing that's coming to mind is uh, my failure on my, my side. His penchant for uh, speaking in Russian is something <laughs> yeah, I, have, I have no talent for whatsoever. Actually, you got some compliments. <laughs> you did, yeah. So I definitely, that's part of his character that I appreciate. I, I'm proud that he he did that and that I stumbled through that. But I don't think, I don't think I'll be winning any uh, Russian audio drama awards anytime soon. Well, you're the only voice actor that we chose for season, the season, the future ones, that doesn't speak the the second language either fluently as a native language or as uh, something they were taught in say school or as a second language so you you're the one that has the most difficult job and i apologize oh it's great just throw right in the deep end there it's fine (laughs) what's a non-deep end language just so i know for the future (laughs) latin's pretty rude who's gonna translate latin for me actually i know someone I'll no, take it, you. absolutely. <laughs> Start calling myself Pater. <laughs> so what's your favorite type of character to portray when you're not portraying uh, Graham Kasner? Absolutely. If he's off the table, and darn it, I just cannot get away from villains as hard as I try. And I really don't try that that hard. It's so much fun to be evil, and I understand why some people choose to do it in reality, though I think that's the wrong way to go. But it is very, very fun to just not care about someone else's life or their situation. Just completely ignore it and gleefully (laughs) go on with what you're doing. Like you said earlier, it's cathartic. Exactly, yeah. I I try as hard as I can not to be a massive jerk in real life, failing most of the time. So when I do get to be a massive jerk, to pretend, it's quite a treat. <laughs> now, do you have like a, a vocal routine or a set of warm-ups you do to get into character? Like, what do you do before you're going to read a part? That is a very good thing for all voice actors to do, and I should start. <laughs> Typically, <laughs> Why is that the most common answer we get when we ask people that question? Oh, so what are your vocal warm-ups? And they're like, you know what? That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> but nobody we talk to does that. <laughs> yeah, it always is. And it should be a part of the process. I, I always just find that I, I get in front of the script and I'm just so excited to dive in. I, I don't have time for all the the trilling of the lips and whatnot. But I think if I was ever not doing this in my closet in a bathrobe and was actually in a studio situation where there were people watching me or directing me, I, I would try a little harder, I hope. <laughs> when you were on tour with No Sleep, um, did you and the other actors do any vocal warm-ups before you got on stage? A year ago. A year ago? Time all mushes together. <laughs> yeah, nobody knows anymore. It was 25 years ago, to be specific, in my mind. 
And uh, I don't think we did. I think we used the fact that uh, from about an hour before the show started until two milliseconds before appearing on stage, my heart would race to to an uncomfortable, almost demonic level. And I think that that warmed me up pretty good. I didn't need anything else after <laughs> the blood surged through me like that. So it was usually not a big deal, I hope. And before you read a part, do you read the script like beforehand or a couple times, uh, make notes in places? or? I do try to look through it uh, once just to find anything that I might have trouble pronouncing, all those lovely Welsh place names that I'm constantly referencing. I've never done that in my life. So I look through for, for things that might trip me up or places where I need to, like, scream or be emotional for a long period of time. I try to find those ahead of time so I'm not on the fly pinching myself trying to, to get the tears to flow. But I try not to read it to death, shall I say, so that I can still kind of get that sensation of being in the moment and living it and having the experience as it's happening. So I do try to look through briefly just to get the overview, but then not spoil it for myself too badly. Bringing a character to life, is it important for you to interpret the character in a way that feels real to you as an actor? Or do you feel like you have to stay really close to the author's intent as possible? It's a very good question. I hope there's time for both. I don't know if I'm pulling off the balance correctly. But uh, the first priority for me is always the story itself, which ties in directly to the author. That's the, the canon of it. And I try not to move around too much within that. But if there are lines where I can accentuate something weird or do it in a different way than I think 99% of people would do it, I will try. But I don't, you know, swap out words or change things that the author already did without checking with them first, at the very least. So uh, with like Kasner, for instance, or other uh, roles that are more than um, a single script that go on, are you told major plot points ahead of time? And does that affect your acting uh, as the character? Does knowing and not knowing make it easier or harder? I think there are a few times on different projects where I've gotten, you know, a, an email or something saying, hey, just so you know, later on, he turns out not to be evil or something like that, <laughs> just to to make sure I'm not growling too much at people. I don't think that happens very often. Usually I'm just thrown into the script and have to figure it out for myself, but definitely on a couple of projects that require more uh, finesse that has happened. Did we tell him anything at all, spoilers-wise, Caitlin? No. I was just wondering if we did. Okay, so he's in the dark. And we're not going to tell him while we're recording. Obviously <laughs> not. But. Okay. What's the most difficult part of voice acting, and what's the most fun? Another excellent question. The most difficult part of it is probably just tied back into my, my general anxieties about everything, my, my bill fears. Uh, again, and, and my earlier answer about being in the horror genre, I don't know if it's a type of imposter syndrome or whatever you call that, that I have no real perception of what I'm doing at any time, for any reason. If it looks like I know what I'm doing, that's just a lovely illusion. <laughs> 
And so I guess the hardest part for me is just dealing with the the pressure and the expectations of that in a weird way. I actually really enjoy the process of it. I really enjoy recording and being a character. Again, I kind of get to get out of that side of myself, the the sickly little meat creature human that I am, and I get to go be all sorts of other things. So that's, again, very therapeutic for me. The other side of that coin that's difficult is the technical side of everything, the editing, the the moving things around and the clicking of mice is not tremendously fun, but it's necessary and character building, I'm sure, one day. Does that imply you dual-wield mice? I try to. It doesn't work very well. I've messed up more recordings that way, I tell you. Now, we have got a couple of really weird personal questions that you will probably enjoy as well. Oh, good. If you hypothetically had bodies buried in your hypothetical backyard, who would they hypothetically be? Oh, this is all very hypothetical and not at all based on that backyard tour I gave last week. I don't know who I would choose to bury in my backyard that I would... That sort of implies that I have a sentimental connection to them. I wouldn't think burying them in my backyard would be the smartest thing to do, so I must have an emotional reason to do this. <laughs> we gave you a question, and your first thought is, let me think through this murder a little farther. Oh, yes. <laughs> Let's overthink it. I really don't know. It would probably be littered with various weird jerks that I've met throughout my life. Tommy Wiseau, he would be back there for sure. <laughs> I've never met him. I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was like, he named a name. I didn't think he was going to name a name. Now the authorities have to be involved. It's gotten serious. It's, <laughs> it's Tommy Wiseau. Next question, which is a bit more lighthearted. <laughs> so this one is uh, from the other spectrum of, uh, of things. We're very dichotomy today. Um, favorites and least favorites. If you had to voice act for an animal, that is to say, an animal that makes noise and you would be the voice of that animal making the noises or of the animal. Or an animal that talks. I'd be interested in knowing that. that. That too, perhaps. What animal would you be? Ooh. I am immediately thinking of the, the classic... And I, I cannot replicate it, but hopefully you know the uh, the Perry the platypus sound from uh, Phineas and Ferb. <laughs> oh, okay. Which some people might not be that into, but uh, I love Phineas and Ferb. <laughs> so D. Bradley Baker, who's a famous voice actor, does a lot of the creature work, the the monsters, etc. And he also does Perry the platypus. And the only thing Perry the platypus ever says. And I said I wouldn't do it, but now I kind of have to. Is he does this little this little noise in the side of his mouth, like a... Oh, like a duck noise. Yeah. Oh, like a platypus noise. No, I mean, my, my, my dad can make, or he used to be able to, I don't know if he does it anymore, I haven't heard him do it in a while, but he used to be able to make like Donald Duck noises. And I think that's what you were trying to do. Peter, I've actually seen Phineas and Ferb on ice. I'm right there with you. Oh, perfect. Oh my god, you're both such weirdos. <laughs> I think I would go there. If if I ever got free reign to pick any creature I wanted, I'd probably pick some gigantic dragon thing that I could just be ancient and growly, but platypus is fine too. I'll take it. <laughs> 
Well, out of all the animals that are real, he chose the one that was the most confusing <laughs> and yet still venomous, I think. They are still venomous. <laughs> yeah. So also, how is your new box ellipses of teeth? Question mark. It is very uh, carefully placed, shall we say. There's a small circle of salt around it and then some <laughs> some Kevlar pads creating sort of a teepee just just in case they decide to come alive, <laughs> unspool themselves into their original string consistency and choke me, which is very real possibility. So for those who are not uh, not familiar with social media or maybe don't follow uh, you directly, you, you familiar put... Familiar with uh, social media. That's such a strange way of putting it. I guess you, you put out a post recently saying that you received a, a box of teeth and you asked if someone was missing them? I did, yes. I... The way my apartment complex works, and this is very important backstory, is that UPS will uh, throw the package at your door from below as hard as they can and then drive away as quickly as possible. That's a long-struck accord in How our apartment rude. complex. So what I got one day, in the middle of a work day, minding my own business, was a thunk <laughs> at the door. And I walked over, and there's a very badly beaten up <laughs> um, manila envelope they did not take good care of. And inside, poking out of one of the torn corners, is a small uh, stone-like white box, which I, I carefully inspected at first and uh, found there to be Surprise, 3D printed teeth inside. <laughs> And I, I looked and looked for a note. I looked for where a note might have, like, fallen out of the holes in the package. But there was really no one else it could have been. So after about five minutes of thinking, I sent you an email, I think, and said, Hey, <laughs> do you have any teeth? <laughs> I apologize. Travis does have a tendency to mail people strange objects. Well, we, we thought you would like them. And we, we were hoping you wouldn't hit it with a hammer. I did. I love them, and it was well worth the possible anthrax. <laughs> now, uh, another question. Uh, do you have any embarrassing bloopers you would like or hate to share? I have millions of bloopers. I'm trying to think if any of them still exist or if I hired some sort of service to remove all of them. How do we not get these bloopers? We, we never get any of Please them. Please give so, us bloopers. <laughs> to clarify for everyone listening, we get this immaculate file where it's just like the perfect take. It's you're you're with you're actually in sync with the David Alt files. The two of you just give us one take, and it has the spaces for the other characters to do their lines, and it just perfectly fits. I don't have to edit it. Oh, that's great! I'm so glad. But David Alt also sends us bloopers, and I want to hear your bloopers. Please send bloopers. <laughs> I will keep that in mind, absolutely. I will keep a closer eye on my bloopers and make them available. I did put one thing out there, I think the only blooper-like thing, though this was actually intentional, that I have available is there was one story I did for the No Sleep podcast where I was Officer Roger. That was my entire character, and I had one line, which was one word, which was Roger and that was my entire part for the week. So I have, I have no excuse to be overworked that particular week. But what I ended up sending to uh, Phil, I think, our producer, was about a four-minute-long file 
that was just me saying the word Roger over and over again in various different accents and styles. And it was one of the one of the best things I think I've ever done, for sure. That sounds amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, what was the next one? Oh, uh, there was a weird question we didn't quite understand. Any more spicy challenges coming up? And we ask, uh, what is a spicy challenge? So very good questions. It sounds like something quite dangerous and unsanitary. It does. Um, perhaps two or three months ago, I, I got a Carolina Reaper one-chip challenge. I think it's Pocky, the company. Oh, the like the long sticks, the snack sticks? No, not like the Japanese Pocky. It's like P-A-Q-U-I or something like that. I, it's probably pronounced differently. Okay. But they make uh, normal chips, and then they have a whole line of really spicy chips, and they try to do stuff like ghost pepper, etc., on up to Carolina Reaper, which is pretty much the hottest publicly available pepper ever, or something like that. And they infuse the essence of it into a chip, and you only get one. It comes in a little chip-shaped bag with exactly one chip in it, and to eat any more than that would be madness. And so I had filmed myself eating that one chip and bawling like a small child for several <laughs> minutes. So that is probably oh, the no. spicy challenge they're referring to. And I know there is there is someone who is sending me a Japanese curry all the way from Japan um, that is supposed to be 18 and up. Like, that's the name of it. And there's three levels of heat, and they sent me, like, the first and second level or something. So I, I might film that. It depends on how much people enjoy seeing me snot all over myself, I guess, is the, <laughs> the core of it. Is this on Facebook or what? I think it was on Facebook. I'm trying to think. I must have put it on Twitter, too. So something like that. Something to watch later. <laughs> So actually, there's, there's the next question. What work are you most proud of? Or at least perhaps. Oh, I already told you about Officer Roger. <laughs> Darn it. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That was... Okay, that was... Yeah. No, that's but, fine. Another um, question before this. I, I, I misread a question. Uh, would you rather give up spicy food or tea? Actually. Hmm. That's a rough one. Because there are so many different types of both. It's not just... It's not just one thing I would be losing. There's vast stores of wealth on either side. <laughs> I, I could probably get by on the coffee as long as I had the spice, so I guess I'll go there. But I love tea Never. far too much. <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> I would have gone the other way. <laughs> <laughs> what work are you most proud of, or least perhaps? It's... Hard to say, I guess. I, I feel... Uh, I guess the way of saying it is that I don't feel pride for just about anything. Like, it's one of those other... I, I don't have any right to call myself a, a horror genre figure. I, I don't really have any right to be proud in something like that. I, I consider the stories that I do to be I can rephrase the question. I think I have a... It, when you it. When you think about voice acting... Do you think of one story in particular that you feel that was my best, that was the best I could have done and I'm okay with the way that it turned out and I don't feel like I could have changed anything? 
And then is there another story where you look at it or you listen to it? Again, I always say look and listen. But anyways. We know what you're talking about. When you listen to it, do you think, I did a poor job. I could have done better. Because, I mean, I do the same thing when I look at old stories I've written. I'm like, oh, dear God, that should be burned in the fire. But how do you feel about some of your past works in those regards? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely... I guess what I don't feel is that I didn't do my best on any particular story. I think I tried really hard with just about everything I've done. Excuse me for one second. I've gotten all gravelly. <clears throat> there we go. I think I've tried the best that I can, and to go back and do another story just seems kind of counterintuitive. You should always be moving forward, I guess. But... I, in terms of, like, one story that I would think of, I, I think I'm probably most known for the Mummer Man. Yep. Back in season four, I want to say, but it might be five. And uh, it's ago. weird because you never really know what's going to kick off like that. It's just another story, kind of, from my perspective. It's very excellent, and, and I love everything that I do, but it's not really in my hands for something to be popular or well-received like that. And so it's always surprising what ends up being the thing that connects with people or that people really respond to. So again, it's just really hard to have like a sense of pride <laughs> towards that because it's mostly the author's work I did next to nothing. And then it's the fan's work to make it into what it is. Like I, I wasn't really involved in that either. I was just along for the ride. But maybe I'm thinking of it in weird terms. And you weren't the Mummer Man in that one either, right? No, yes. I'm not the Mummer Man in question, though people uh, like to call me that. <laughs> I'm just some random unnamed book lover, I think. But I would like to reiterate that you said that it's a lot of the work of the writer, but it doesn't matter if you have a good story by the writer. If you have horrible voice actors, it's going to come out horrendous. And the, same, the other way around, if you have horrible writing, sometimes a good voice actor can save the show. So stop putting yourself down. Okay. Seriously. <laughs> I'm stopping. I'm stopping now. <laughs> we have another personal question. This one is, is pretty deep. How many souls did you have to offer to which dark and ancient gods do you pray to to get that kind of voice? Or were you born perhaps in a haunted hospital? How many souls? I think the answer is always all of them. <laughs> and I don't know which which dark god I, I must have prayed to. I must have been sleep praying that night. It's probably, uh, what was that one we were just talking about? <laughs> I want to say Ishtar, but that's the goddess of spring. That's, that's a real <laughs> thing. We had just recently played a, a lovely D&D &D game in which I, I had a character born under a dark star. <laughs> oh, Irita. Irita. That's the one. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's probably who I sleep prayed to. Uh, this is our first interview in America, and we were wondering if you could share a local ghost story with us from America. Oh, a local American ghost story. You're, you're the only raised. American character on the White Vault. North American character, we should say. Absolutely. Not to tell you that you're wrong, Travis, but Mexico is considered North America? Oh, Central. Okay, that's technically not a continent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning. I apologize. If I'm learning so much. I'm learning too. That's why Caitlin is the writer. 
I do have a, a ghost story of sorts that was told to me, oh, maybe eight or ten years ago. So this is going to be foggy and badly, uh, badly communicated, as most of the things I do are. But, so many years ago, as most good stories start, I was uh, talking to an old friend of mine who lives here in Colorado. I don't really live that close to the mountains. I'm much more in the, the plains area of Colorado, if anyone's curious. But he used to live up in the mountains in a town called Grand Lake, Colorado, which has a, a very storied history and is a very beautiful spot. A lot of boating, if you're into that sort of thing. So his family has a cabin on one shore of Grand Lake, but it used to be on the other shore of Grand Lake. And he has told me several uh, strange occurrences that have happened to him in this cabin, and only to him in this cabin. And I will tell you about them in a moment. Because to truly understand the story, we have to go back to somewhere in the 1800s, the early 1800s, during the founding of uh, most of the mountain towns in that area. There was a gentleman who had a cabin on the opposite side of Grand Lake from where my friend now lives. And it was just a very small cabin. It was him and his wife and three children, I believe, one boy and two daughters. But what he, what he found out after he had several strange close calls, shall we say, in this house, he, he asked his parents if there was anything strange about it or why this might be happening. And they said that this gentleman, um, it was supposed to be a very light winter, the year that this happened. They weren't expecting any massive issues, so as it got closer into the autumn season, he decided to leave the house and go to a local uh, logging camp or a mining camp a little bit down the mountain to get some extra supplies, provisions, etc. to help them last the winter while he had the chance. However, the winter struck much more quickly and with much more ferocity than anyone was expecting, and he got stuck on the other side of the pass. There was no way through, there was no way back to Grand Lake to check on his family, and at that time he was about the only person that lived in that area. So his wife and his three children are essentially cut off from all civilization, he was unable to get to them until the following spring, when the pass thawed, and he went up to his cabin to find that it was not necessarily empty, but everyone was dead inside, sadly. And they think that the winter was so harsh and they didn't have enough provisions and they weren't sure if he was going to come back and that the mother kind of snapped and killed the children so that they would not have to suffer starvation, freezing, etc. And then she just kind of laid down and died, is what it seemed to be. So he uh, left that area and he sold the cabin and the cabin was actually dismantled and moved to the other side of the lake because nobody wanted to be around that area anymore. So cut back to present day, my friend was in the uh, the new cabin, which was built from the bones of the old, and a very old picture of this gentleman, the, the gentleman from the 1800s, was on the far wall across from him, 
and all of the sudden it flew at him with great force and shattered on the floor, etc. And what they kind of realized as they were piecing this together amongst themselves is that my friend's father looked nothing like the grandfather, or it might be great-grandfather, I'm again quite foggy. He looked nothing like him, but my friend did. He looked exactly like him. So as soon as my friend was old enough to start looking like a man, and specifically looking like the man who was the husband, the house started to betray him, in a sense, and it would throw pictures of him at his face and other things. There was never a full drink, but glasses, mugs, that sort of thing would fly off the shelf at him. And it was just oddly coincidental that he looked so much like the previous owner? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) It was just a strange trick of genetics. (laughs) Wait, so was he related to the original uh, occupant? Was that like his great-great-great-grandfather? Yes, absolutely. Okay. It was oh, his okay. father's... I'm sorry, I'm messing this all up. It was his grandfather's cabin or great-grandfather's cabin. No, oh I, I caught God. on. I didn't catch that. That makes it so much worse. That does. Like, oh yeah, we just still have this cabin that our old family members murdered each other in and then laid down to die in. Well, then he must have remarried and had kids. Exactly, oh, yeah. In the same house where everybody else... And there seems to be a sensation of, you didn't come back, and you just (laughs) left me to die, and I'm very angry about it. So I really, I'm probably messing up some of the details, but that's the story as it was relayed to me ten years ago or so, and I've never quite forgotten it. Weather ruining people is a very American story, in the West especially. Nature don't care. It doesn't. No. She doesn't. <laughs> Dang. That's that's really intense. But that was actually something people used to do. Like, if they were dying of starvation, parents would kill the children because they didn't want them to suffer through starvation. So that was a known thing. People didn't like the idea of it, but you would rather be like, okay, hey, Susie, come over here, and I'm just going to poke you with this dagger real quick so that you don't <laughs> spend the next two weeks... Uh, you know, just wasting away while still alive. I know it hurts, but it's better. I swear. <laughs> this doesn't make sense to me. I'm being stabbed. <laughs> Susie would disagree. That's our at that point. <laughs> our second story about mothers killing their children. It is, and both under dire circumstances. Yeah. Well, they didn't come back to sing. They threw stuff. They did. Far less eloquent children. <laughs> That is like an old pioneering horror story. Like American pioneers going out there, being by their lonesomes in the American wilderness, and then, you know, dying. As you do, regrettably. (laughs) Yeah, times were really tough and different. Like, we're we're currently watching a show called The Terror, and it's just, like, very scary. And it's like, oh, it's the 1800s. We're on a boat. We're heading up north. It's really cold. And it's like, oh, I'm really glad I don't have you as a dentist. (laughs) (laughs) So the uh, I, I don't want to break the story off, but I do have a very interesting question because um, you just recently released your website and it looks stunning. Oh, thank you. And it was the first time that I had learned that you had actually written, that you write stories yourself. And uh, we were interested to know a little bit more about 
what you write and what your plans are, if you plan on publishing things as audiobooks or if you are working on anything that we can know about. Again, don't tell us anything you don't feel like sharing, but at the same time, I'm very interested. Yes. That is very kind of you. Thank you so much. Yes, I did just get my website up, and one of the things I hope to be adding, I'm currently stuck in the... Uh, the commercialism phase of things, trying to get my merchandise store up and running, which sounds like the most vain, awful thing ever. And you can find his merchandise on Tee Public. Go look <laughs> for all of his wonderful gear. Yes. <laughs> but what I hope to be moving into soon is to add actual writing to the website under that section and have stories available. I really don't write as often as I should. I tend to have not really dreams, but kind of daydreams about like a specific tableau, a specific sequence that makes perfect sense to me in my mind, and I like to try to write those out, but then I can never put them anywhere because it's just like one page of a very intense, beautiful scene that makes no sense outside of my head. <laughs> I think I have one on there that's actually in audio form now called Heartbeat or the Lantern Siege, which is some one of those, one of those weird... It's almost like an audio triptych or something. Um, so you're, I, not, you're not looking at specifically doing horror, but uh, you feel inspired, you said, by these daydreams or things like that. So do you have any solidified genres that you enjoy or plans down the line? Yeah, there's definitely a few things I'm working on. I've got a, a story that's maybe about a third of the way done, meaning novel length or something close to it. That's fantastic. Called Congratulations. Sebastian the Dreamer. <laughs> and I don't really know if it's available anywhere. I've been putting it on various chat channels, but I can produce it on command. It's the only thing of substance I've ever really written, and I want to try to finish it before I move on to other things, so I'm hoping to carve out some time to work on that. It's not really horror. I guess it would be more of a adventure more than anything but it takes place mostly in dreams and or nightmares so there are elements of it that are very surreal shall we say if not horrifying so i definitely like to work on that and i definitely like to work on other things and something that i've tried to soak some energy into lately after hosting the podcast for five brief terrible episodes which you should <laughs> skip is to actually do a story on the podcast. I, I've got that bee in my bonnet, shall we say. Mm. So I well, would like to I, try my hand at horror. I look forward to hearing one yes. of your stories in the future. And not just your voice. I mean, your your literary and written voice, not just your active speaking voice. Sure. So, Thank you very much. I look forward to that. Much. That's fantastic for, for me to find out. Because, again, I'm just... When I got to see the, the, the website, I was like, oh, look at this page. And look, oh, look, he's got a shop now. And then I was like, writing. And I clicked on it, and I was like, oh, he writes things. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited. That's going to be great. <laughs> I'm excited, too. <laughs> Thank you so much. So what sort of project or genre would you like to do next, if not horror? If not horror, I think uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe should probably give me a call. I think that's... <laughs> That's what's next. You go from, you know, low, low on the totem pole, part-time work with a with a donated microphone, and then you're in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm pretty sure that's how Hollywood works. Would you? Uh, which character would you be in the Marvel Universe? 
I don't know. I have an intense love of the aesthetic of uh, Doctor Strange. The, <laughs> the camartage robes, etc., are just totally me, if, if I'm allowed to do that as a pasty white man. I think you would be required to speak more languages, though. Yes. Not, not like you having to know it, but you would probably have to read a few lines that you would find rather uncomfortable. And not in like a, oh, that's rude sort of way, but in a more, <laughs> more like, oh, God, why do I have to speak Russian or, or Welsh? You said earlier <laughs> you didn't want to speak Welsh. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't want to fall into that trap. <laughs> I could see him as Doctor Strange. I could see him as Doctor Strange, too. That'd be cool. <laughs> Controlling time. <laughs> Doing weird things to apples for no apparent reason. The computers or the apples that you eat? <laughs> Either one. <laughs> and you get a Macintosh and you get a Macintosh. <laughs> I always check. So I wanted to ask a few more conversational questions about being part of the White Vault team. And again, thank you for saying yes to being part of the White Vault team. Of yes, course. we are insanely appreciative. <laughs> I'm honored. Um, so how did you feel the first time you realized you were going to have to speak a, a language you didn't actually speak? Did you feel as though it was a, a challenge you had to overcome or were you a bit more nervous or what was the what was going through your brain as those lines came in front of you? Absolutely. I was um, probably intimidated first, but excited as a close second because it's just something I've never gotten the chance to do before, and I'm the type of person that will never grow or change on my own. I need external <laughs> stimulus. That's I'm, I'm happy to admit that. So it was great for me, actually, and I really enjoyed the process of doing it. What I did, as you well know, from not getting an email from me for, like, three months there, was just procrastinated every day, doing it because what I needed to do is just sit down I needed to listen to all the reference files and then look at the words look at it phonetically and then start trying to do it and every time I would try to do that I had like another story I had to get off my plate or something and I would just oh there's not enough time oh look we, we've <laughs> run out of time to do the Russian today I'll do it tomorrow excuses excuses <laughs> for which I do apologize the no, many delays okay. Well, a lot of work goes into to, to making making you able to speak Russian. We put it through our translators, and they write down the ways they think it should be said, and then it we go with the bounce back of you give us your first try, and we're like, okay, we'll let them listen to it and see how it goes. So you put a lot of hard work into part of a, a very long process to get those Russian lines to sound great. And again, we thank you for that. And at the same time, it's been wonderful to hear the reaction of fans who are like, oh man, we love that everybody has their second language, except for Walter. <laughs> 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 and uh, some people are really appreciative of hearing the Russian, even though they can tell when they're Russian, they can tell that you aren't a Russian native speaker. I think sure. they said that he sounded Hungarian? Uh, no, uh, Georgian specifically. Georgian. Oh, um, very passable as, as like a native of Georgia or your parents were natives of Georgia and taught you. That's fantastic. Again, thank you for putting up with that. And you really help sell the Graham Cosner character with that. Um, speaking of characters, if you could choose a character from the White Vault that wasn't Graham Kasner, uh, who do you in enjoy listening to the most? I'm not talking about the voice actor. I'm talking about like the character... Um, who they're written as. Absolutely, yeah. I actually really appreciate 
Athor's character's upbeat attitude. I, I don't get to be upbeat very much. That's just not in my wheelhouse, I guess. So I think I would swap out with him and, and do some lovely Icelandic nursery rhymes. <laughs> That's what he needs. That's what Peter needs. He needs a, a happy role. <laughs> to be a happy person, not a murderer. <laughs> Perhaps in the works, he said, wink, wink. Okay. <laughs> But how do you like working with um, everybody that's on the team? I know that you've worked with David Alt before, but I don't think you've worked with uh, Lonnie, who plays Rosa, or, I mean, I don't think you ever interacted with Aethor previously, because Aethor was only small parts in uh, Liberty. He was, he was one part once. <laughs> but he did fantastic. <laughs> and we'll remember it forever. <laughs> but how do you like the the White Vault team? Um, what do you feel like we're we're doing in a positive way or a negative way as a as a team moving forward with the project that we've created so far? Well, I have a list of concerns. That's for oh, sure. Okay. No. You can email that too. <laughs> <laughs> the trash basket at. No, I have, like you said, it's I'm in the same boat as the fans in a lot of sense that. I don't think I've ever heard a podcast or even an audio drama that does have such an internationally diverse cast and actually represents the languages, etc. It's very, very cool to see that. I think most other times you wouldn't go the extra mile or another podcast wouldn't go the extra mile. And even if there was a character from Mexico, a character from Iceland, etc., that would just be background filler. But you guys actually brought it to the forefront and made it part of the story. And I've been immensely proud to be the the American uh, leftover there in a a beautiful, handsome international cast. Technically in the show, you're Canadian. (laughs) That's much better. No, we've had a really good reaction from from fans about having the international crowd. We we do want to play that up um, because we want people to experience an international story because, again, it takes place in uh, an island owned by Norway under under oh, a company that's owned by Icelandic people. And again, it's an international crowd. And as I've told people before, having a bunch of Americans would be more fictional than having an actual international group. So yeah. having you be our, as you say, token American, we try to hide it very well. And it does, we, we do, we hide it. <laughs> I'm very grateful. <laughs> Now, we've heard various conspiracy theories about what the show could become or directions that it could go. We're curious what yours might be. And we've heard some really strange ones involving, it's in the coffee. It's The coffee is the bad guy. It's going to be the stuff from the movie The Stuff. That's fantastic. That's my headcanon now. <laughs> I think we should just keep going deeper and deeper. That That's my my plan. Just a journey to the center of the earth style worm fight. That's what this is all building up to. <laughs> Giant underground worms. I truly have no idea, and I'm I'm just as excited as everyone else to see where Graham ends up. I hope it's somewhere cold. I just keep hearing everybody's <laughs> ideas for what's gonna happen. They are pretty crazy. We get some and they're ones. so wonderful because even if something doesn't align with what it is that I'm writing it gives me wonderful ideas for the future <laughs> but that's that's a cool one worm fight there we go. <laughs> like tremors like tremors I'm gonna go tremor size worms on that idea in my brain are, are we going tremor size worms or are we going dune full dune 
I was thinking Dune myself. I was actually thinking like how to train your dragon finale <laughs> that size. Oh, the man. coffee must flow. <laughs> it's a fun thing to write and it's a f- so amazing again to hear you and everybody else voice these characters that have created um like when when you're when you said you were talking about your writing and you feel like oh you're going to you have this this one idea and you're going to get it written down and when I get things written down, I look at it and I'm like, maybe this will be better once somebody actually voices it. And then you guys read the lines and I'm like, yes, that sounded amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> so we've, we've had these weird team building exercises in that the entire cast has never talked to each other ever, with the exception of you and David, I believe. Uh, and then you recorded season one. And then at the conclusion of season one, we played a game of Dungeons and Dragons together and you guys at the end of the season so you kind of know a little bit about the other people or at least the characters they portray what was that like for you absolutely that was a blast shall i say it was my second time playing anything like D, my first being the liberty vigilance adventure which i'm sure we're we're all enjoying by now shut this interview off and go listen to more of it <laughs> i need to edit more of it oh, no. <laughs> For someone who doesn't play a lot of D&D, though, you do a great job of, like, choosing a character and sticking with them. Sure, thank you. I think it was a lot of fun this time around. The original game we did was more sci-fi, guns, and junk. And this one was a traditional fantasy setting with dwarves. And it was lovely. (laughs) And I got to be some sort of a brooding ranger vampire hunter or monster hunter from from the woods who never bathes and it was just <laughs> oh, just wonderful i didn't realize he never bathed i would have been like oh the smell now i can it's incorpor- okay everything <laughs> smelled bad in that world <laughs> you couldn't tell is it him that smells or the corpse on the ground next to him it's both <laughs> you know back in those times real gentlemen didn't wash their hands their hands were always clean I'm getting stared at by Caitlin for those listening. Because we just watched a show where someone was doing surgery with their bare hands. And I was like, why? Oh, why the germs, though. But the germs. Yeah. The disinfecting germs. <laughs> Self-disinfecting hands. We're so lucky that we get to work with you. Um, when we were just starting out years ago with Liberty and we said, hey, can you give us a try? And you were like, Sure, we were flabbergasted, and since then it's been great to actually get to hang out with you and play D&D and play the Liberty Sci-Fi D&D game and just work with you, and it's been a fantastic experience. And we're so happy, and I'm just throwing a million compliments his way right now. <laughs> it feels so weird. <laughs> we're also uh, overjoyed that you're considering the role of the bard in our future uh, musical adventure, Legend of the Boar Knight 2. Oh, yeah, Not a horror. There Not you go. Horror. <laughs> I'm expecting really there will be many fluffy bunnies along the way that will be sung about. Can there be fluffy rats? I think they're rats. Well, that's great. Uh, magical rats from the plain of string cheese. They're nice rats, though. Oh, yeah, they're totally nice. It has been truly an honor and a privilege to work with you guys. I think what you just said, like the first time you reached out to me and were flabbergasted that I responded, I think from my perspective... I was doing some no-sleep podcast work, etc., but it's basically just a big sea of silence and just nothingness. And so you threw me a a lifeline or a life preserver or something, 
and it's led to so many adventures and so many fun times. I'm... You, you owe me nothing, truly. And uh, for those of us who already know of the No Sleep podcast, we know where to find it. But for those who don't, where would they find your works on the No Sleep Horror podcast? Absolutely. You should be able to go to thenosleeppodcast.com. I think there's a the. And there's a search function right on the page there. You can just search for my name and everything I've ever done as it relates to No Sleep will come up like magic. Similarly, libertyendures.com for all your tales for the tower ne- tales from the tower needs. <laughs> As I botched the name of the show that I made up. And then uh, the White Vault. If you're listening to this, you know the White Vault. Where do we find your your website? I believe it's just uh, it's strange to pronounce. I think it's Sulpi is the way I do it, and everybody else says Seawelp, which is equally <laughs> good. Uh, com, which as you may have guessed is P. Lewis backwards because I'm that lame I didn't guess that you didn't know that <laughs> that's why I'm the fool and you're the scholar well I figured it out a while ago because I kept looking at the name going why would he choose that what does and then this I was mean? like oh it's just his name backwards it took me like I don't know five minutes <laughs> it's okay dear <laughs> So you can always find me at soulp.com and my many unnecessary merchandises. Including coffee mugs. Oh, yes. Which will turn evil in season two. There you go. Evil <laughs> coffee. Evil coffee. It'll be like kind of like um, the Evil on- Dead 2. The only way to contain Army of Darkness. the evil coffee is in a Peter Joseph Lewis coffee mug. That's the only way there to stop go. the evil from rising <laughs> up. Deus like Ex Machina, right there. Army of Darkness. I got it. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time out of your day to sit down with us and be annoyed by us and all of our annoying questions. (laughs) Not at all. It's always lovely to speak to you guys. And we look forward to working with you and hearing the voice of Peter Lewis again in The White Vault, Season 2. Soon. So soon. You're not even going to believe how soon it is. Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) Bum. Okay, I'm not going to sing anymore. (laughs) Turn it off. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.